Welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, we have a message from Phil Bischoff, Director of Youth and Outreach Ministries at Crosswalk. So head on over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Phil Bischoff. The message at Crosswalk about 20 times in the past seven years. And, and uh, when, we, when we have a message, okay, that the topic's given to me, the, uh, the Bible text is given to me, and uh, so I went back to my old messages, um, the ones that I was assigned by, by Pastor Jeff and Pastor Dan, and, and it was kind of interesting because it seemed like, you know, a good majority of those messages dealt with the topics of either hell, money, or sex. And I was kind of like, that's kind of interesting. And then I see my topic that I was signed for today, which is David and Bathsheba, uh, which is talking about infidelity. And, and I'm kind of like, this is interesting. Uh, it's, it's funny that Dan and Jeff are recovering on this Sunday. And, you know, uh, what, what's funny is I saw them actually meet out, out today, out in the grass over here. And, and I saw them say, you know, our plan worked. And they gave each other a high five and a chest bump. So it could be a coincidence or they just like watching me sweat on stage, you know, one of the two. But, but no, to be honest, I really love talking about difficult topics. And the reason I love talking about difficult topics is because it causes us to look at how broken and how sinful we are and how compassionate and how loving and how powerful God is. And there's just not a, a, a more valuable topic to, to go over. You know, I knew that when I was uh, preparing for this message that, that I knew I'd be convicted of some hidden sins in my heart. And I also knew that I would be convinced that Jesus Christ paid the price, paid the bill in full for me. You know, difficult, sensitive topics, what they do is they reveal the truth about us and they reveal the, they reveal the truth about how God changes us. And in other words, real people, real faith. That's our tagline at Crosswalk. And today's message is the epitome of real people, real faith. And now I'm going to be upfront and honest. Today's message is rated R. Okay? Uh, don't get too excited. I'm not going to say any profanity or show like nudity scenes on the screen or anything. Okay? It's, uh, it's rated R because this deals with a real life account of sexual sin. And I'm also going to be honest with you is I'm, I'm going to be blunt today. Now, you know, normally I, uh, I am. I'm a, I'm a person that kind of tiptoes around things. I like to sugarcoat things. I, I don't want to offend anyone. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going over this, this text for today, and, and I'm thinking, you know what? Real people, real faith, strong in truth, strong in grace. That's how God deals with us. And so when, when we're talking about sin today, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And... And when we're talking about God's grace and God's forgiveness, I'm not going to sugarcoat that either. I'm going to tell you the true power of his grace and forgiveness. So I promise you two things today. I promise you I'm going to try to convict your heart a little bit and, and prick your conscience. I am. Because, and hear this, stay for the whole message, because I want to point you to the healing power of Jesus and his love and his grace and his compassion. So let's get into it. So get out your notes, and I'll, I'll give you a short version of what's going on here. So we have King David, okay, been king for about 10 years, and here's a short version. King David sleeps with one of his best friend's wife, Bathsheba, 
And then he tries to cover it up through manipulation and murder. Okay, that's the short version. Now let's look though, let's go to the trigger. Like what caused all this? Because as you and I know with temptation, there's always a trigger, isn't there? So let's look at the first verses here. And it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. You might wonder, why did I bold, you know, at the time when kings go off to war and David remained in Jerusalem? How is this a trigger? Here's why. is because David knew where he should have been. David was king. God has given him the responsibility to go off to war with his men. Okay, He has all the, all the authority, all the power of the land. David's good at it. That's where he needs to be with his men. And David goes in the opposite direction. So all the people that you know, are, 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 are part of his everyday army and whatnot are off fighting. And he's back in Jerusalem with all this power and authority and nothing to do. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, aren't they? And so let's, let's talk a little bit about, about choices. So we've got this um, a summer camp that I take teens to in Texas. And when we get there, the first thing the camp director does is we go through an exercise called duh or no duh. Okay? And the reason we do this is, uh, is not to make the kids feel dumb or anything like that. It's to actually have a little humor when we go through kind of the rules of the camp and, and to show them you guys know what the answer is. So it kind of goes like this. It kind of goes, um, so no camper should ever go off campus. Duh or no duh. And the campers go, well, no duh. That's obvious, right? Okay, if you can't swim, if you're in the water, you got to have a life jacket. Duh or no duh. And all the campers go, yeah, no duh. Okay, that's obvious. All right, so no two campers of the opposite sex should be alone together for an extended period of time. Duh or no duh. And with this one, the kids pause a little bit, and, and then you hear the no does kind of slowly rise, because they know what the answer is, they just, they just don't want to say that that's the answer, right? See, the thing is, in any of those scenarios, it's, it's just not a good idea if any of those things actually happen. So, so kind of in, in, in the same way, and again, not, not saying that, that uh, we're dumb or anything, uh, I'm doing this kind of because I know that, that we know the answers, let's do a little duh or no duh. A married person shouldn't have a deep friendship or even spend a lot of one-on-one time with a person of the opposite sex. Duh or no duh. And, and this is from God's word here that I'm going to show you. And God says, no duh, it's not a good idea. Let, let's look at some verses here um, from Proverbs 7, 24 to 27. It says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Now, now here when it says, uh, don't, don't turn your heart to her ways, it, it's talking really specifically about infidelity. And it's talking about the adulterous man or woman. And, and, and catch that word, don't let your heart lead to her ways because sin starts in the heart 
And so God says we've got to guard our heart. So when we come to our choices, we've got to say, what, what's going to be a wise choice that, that guides my heart? And if you don't want to hear this from me, listen to who wrote the proverb. And you know who wrote this proverb? was King Solomon. And King Solomon was King David's son. Do you think King Solomon knew kind of how infidelity would kind of put a big, maybe even ruin a family, ruin a marriage? Because that's what his dad did. And Solomon ended up getting into his own sexual sins. So Solomon speaks from experience and he says, you go down that path, many are the victims. Her slain are a mighty throng. So when we talk about decisions, we talk about that, guarding your heart. Now, now let's talk about a few more. Duh or no duh. Um, it's not wise to fill your head with sexual images through pornography, through movies, through books. And it's not wise to sit alone by yourself and to think about having sex with someone. Duh or no duh. And God says, no duh. It's obvious Jesus tells us that even if we look at someone with lust in our hearts, it's the same as if we go through and sleep with them. Now, the thing is, is, is that these, these wise decisions, okay, these unwise decisions stop with the first domino. The first domino of sin, right? That's the easiest one to stop. It's tough to stop it once the domino keeps going, Right? We have a nutritionist at Crosswalk who likes to say this, out of sight, out of mouth. And when it, when it comes to food, right, if you don't stock your food pantry with junk food, you'll probably eat less of it, right? Out of sight, out of mouth, okay? Um, and, and also, what, what I remember is a story that, um, a, a real life story, I had a conversation with Jeff. Uh, and this was when my wife, Rachel, and I, when we were dating, okay? And Jeff and I are in the car, and, and, and I knew what God's word said about sex before marriage, is that God says sex is reserved for marriage. He says it in his word. But what I wanted to know from, from Jeff is, hey, hey, Jeff, how far is too far? So, so if we've got sin over here pictured by me, let's say it's a fire, right? And we've got God over here on the right, Here's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know how close could I get without getting burned? How close could I get to the line without getting burned? And Jeff said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, Phil, you know, what if you change your thinking? And what if instead of thinking, how close can I get to getting burned? You thought, how close can I get to serving and praising and honoring God? How close can I actually, or how far away can I get from the fire. And here's what I want you to put for your first point is the best temptation is the one you never face. The best temptation is the one you never face. All right, so now let's keep reading. So so we are in uh 2 Samuel 11 um chapter 11 and we're picking up right where we left off where it says that but David left uh remained in Jerusalem, okay? Here it goes. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. 
The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she came back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. You know what's great? What's great is the instant that I got married, I instantly stopped being attracted to other women. It's crazy. I had to ask my friends, hey, is that woman good looking? Because I don't know. Now, that's a really nice romantic thought, but it's not reality. And here I'm going to say a stereotype, okay? And stereotypes are not completely true, okay? But I'm going to say it because it's been true in my life and people that I know. When it comes to sexual temptation, men are tempted through their eyes and women are tempted through their emotions. Now, that's a stereotype, but here's what I'll say. The movie Fifty Shades of Grey... Men and women watch that movie for entirely different reasons. It all has to do with sexual sin, but for different reasons. Here's here's kind of my proof. Look at David. It says that he just saw a naked, beautiful woman. That's all that happened. He's walking around and boom, eyes go on naked, beautiful woman, right? And now what does he do? Look at the steps that he takes. He sends a messenger to, to go find out who she is. And then when he even finds out it's one of his best friend's wife, he's still not deterred because he's got that image in his head. And so he gets some more more messengers to bring her up to his palace and he sleeps with her. And now I want to say this, though, is that we don't see Bathsheba putting up a fight. Do you think that Bathsheba got caught up in the emotion of being wanted by the king? Someone comes to you and says, hey, the king... The, the guy, the top dog in all the land noticed you. Do you think she got caught up in the emotion of, of being alone while her husband Uriah was off fighting the war? Guys, we got to guide our, our, our eyes. We got to guard our eyes. Ladies, we, we got to guard our emotions. What are you filling your, your emotions with? Who are you around? And here's really the deal here is that in this situation... Neither David nor Bathsheba, they didn't have any accountability. They didn't have to answer to anyone. I mean, this is why it was so dangerous for for David to stay behind in Jerusalem. Okay, because all of his trusted guys are out fighting the war. Okay, and and who is he left with? He's left with a someone and some messengers. Okay, so Mr. Someone and Mr. Messenger ain't going to cut it because these are lowly servant people who aren't going to tell the king what to do. You know what I wonder? I wonder if Jonathan were still alive. Jonathan was David's best friend. He was King Saul's son, but he was loyal to God and he was loyal to David. And they were, they were close as brothers, okay? And I wonder if Jonathan is around. And I wonder if David said, hey, Jonathan, I'm thinking about sleeping with Bathsheba. I wonder what Jonathan would have said. Jonathan would have said, uh, no, duh, no, don't do it. What do you think in David? But he had no accountability, right? And, and so, so there's reasons why on staff at Crosswalk, okay, when we meet with people of the opposite sex, okay, we try not to do it in an isolated place. Okay, I'm not going to invite a, a woman over to my house for counseling or for any sort of meeting when I know my wife won't be home and, and she won't be home for a while. Accountability. 
And it's not just with sexual temptation. There's a reason why when we count the offering after church on Sunday that we have two people counting the offering at the same time. Accountability is a barrier between us and between sin. So here's what I want to ask you. What accountability measures are you willing to put up so that you can put a barrier between you and sin? Okay, first off, do you have a trusted person in your life who has the guts to confront you when you're doing something wrong or about to? And I'm talking about someone who's not your spouse, probably not related to you, and is probably of the same gender. Do you have a person like that? If you do struggle... With things like pornography on the internet. Have you looked into steps like a program like Covenant Eyes. That that tells a trusted person when you're looking on sites that you shouldn't be looking at. So here's the the next feeling. And you probably have it already. Is accountability is a barrier between us and sin. So Bathsheba's pregnant. And David has a choice to make. He can come clean or he can hide his sin. Now, now let's be clear. When it comes to sin, there's, there's two things that can happen. We can kill our sin through confession or we feed our sin. There, there's no other way around it. We kill our sin with confession or we feed our sin. And David decides to feed his sin. And, and, uh, and here's, here's what happens, okay? So David tries to cover his sin up. What he does is he brings Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, home from the battlefields. And he gives him all this great honor and says, hey, how's it going? He sends him home with some gifts to his wife. And what do you think he wants him to do? Wants him to sleep with his wife so everyone thinks that Uriah is the father of the kid, right? He's off the hook. Well, Uriah shows loyalty that David doesn't have anymore. And Uriah sleeps outside. Because Uriah says, I know where I should be. I should be on the battlefield with my men. They're not home with their families. Why should I be getting this comfort? So he sleeps outside. And David, the next day, doesn't stop there. He invites Uriah over again. And now he's going to try to get him drunk. Maybe now when I get Uriah drunk, now he'll do what he wants. So he gets Uriah drunk, sends him home. And even when Uriah is drunk, he's loyal to his men and he sleeps outside. And now we get to the next verses. 2 Samuel eleven fourteen to 15. And it says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front, where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him, <clears throat> so he will be struck down and die. At this point, David completely embraces his sin... And he's following his own self-centered heart. Now, let's be clear. David knew what he did was wrong because that's why he tried to cover it up. And he knew what the consequences would be. He knew that under Mosaic law, anyone who commits adultery is stoned to death. He knew what was wrong. He just was unrepentant of it. And so now here's a little conscience pricking time, okay? Now, and I'm, I'm really asking this question. When it comes to sex, do you know what's right and wrong? And, and a similar question, when it comes to sex, where do you get your answers for what's right and what's wrong? 
And let me start out by saying this, is that what the Bible says about sex is that sex is awesome. Okay? God, God created sex. And, you know, I went to this little uh, conference, um, a Christian conference, right? And they have all these pins that say, I love marriage, really. And what I was thinking is, Christians should have little pins that say, I love sex. Okay? Because God created sex. And I want to say this, is, is God wants you to have sexual happiness. He does. Sex is not a dirty word. It's not a necessary evil. It's a beautiful blessing. And it's a blessing that God, in his wisdom, designed to be between one man and one woman in marriage, period. So when it comes to your view of sex, do you get it from God or from society? Because society's view of sex is totally different. Society's view of sex is it's a recreational activity that any consenting adults can partake in at any time. And, and really what society's view is, society's view, if we want to be honest with ourselves, it, that's, that's what's going on in our own heart, our sinful heart, is we want to do what we want to do. That's what David was doing, his own view, push God away. So really society's view is reflecting what's in all of our own self-centered hearts. And so... Again, here we go. There's some of you in this room who are unmarried and you're having sex. And I just want to ask you this question. Are you following God's heart or are you following your heart? There's some of you in this room who are unmarried and you're not having sexual intercourse, but you are doing sexual things with sexual organs. I told you I'd be blunt today. Are you following God's heart or are you following your heart? And, and let me be clear right now, okay, is that there's no person on a Sunday morning who stands up on stage that, that isn't guilty of sexual sin. Guilty. Every preacher, every pastor that's up there, guilty, right? Are you following your heart or are you following God's heart? So here's our next fill-in is David became a man... After his own self-centered heart. So now you're caught in temptation. You're caught in sin. And what do you do? And as I said, there's two things you can do. You can kill your sin through confession. Or you can feed it and cause it to grow. And, and there's multiple ways we can feed it and cause it to grow. We can deny our sin we can hide it, we can conceal it, we can justify it, we can minimize it. Oh, there's, there's multiple ways of causing our sin to grow, right? But I want to be clear here, okay? When you hide your sin, when you don't confess your sin, whether it's a sexual sin or any other, when there's a sin that you're unrepentant of, you carry that burden of sin with you. And it's a heavy load. When that sin causes to grow, it is on you. And the momentary pleasures of sin, they, they go very quickly. And now you're, you're left with this guilt and this shame, and it's just weighing on you. And let's look at our, our, our next verses, what it says here in James 1, 13 to 15. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and they're enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And I want you to underline gives birth to death because this is why we talk so serious about sin, guys. Brothers and sisters, what, what happens is temptation leads to sin. And sin that's not, that's not repented of, sin that stays hidden, sin that's not confessed, it can lead to spiritual death. You don't want to carry that burden. And King David himself shows us what it feels like when you carry that burden, when your sin is just hidden and, and, and you're not confessing it. Here's what it feels like. Psalm 32, 3 to 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Some of you in this room are, are groaning because you're carrying the, the burden of, of your sin, and, and, and you're just terrified to confess it to God or, or, or to anyone else. So let's put in our, our, our next fill-in here. It says, when we hide our sin, we walk on a path towards spiritual death. I'm going to take a deep breath because that was hard for me. I'm a sugar coater. But now I get to the good part. Now I get to go to the, to the real faith part. Okay, and, and it starts off in a part where you might not think, but this is good. Let, let, let's see here. Let's look at our next verses at Second Samuel, the first verse here. Okay, it says the Lord sent Nathan to David and the Lord sent Nathan to David to confront him in his sin. And you're like, that doesn't sound good. That sounds scary. Okay, but I'll tell you this. The people I respect most in my life have all confronted me about a sin. And I'm so thankful that they did it. But now here's the thing. You and I have been taught, we know, not to judge. Right? We say that all the time. Oh, I can't judge. Jesus says, don't judge. And, and he's right. But Jesus also says, I want you to confront people in their sin. And here's the difference. Let me give you a little analogy. Let's say you and I are friends, and we go hiking on South Mountain. We're hiking along, and a rattlesnake bites me. Okay? And let's say that rattlesnake bite represents sin. Okay? Here's judging, scenario one. You say, Phil, you just got bit by a rattlesnake bite, and that looks horrible. Boy, that looks painful. What were you thinking, you idiot? Don't you know that, that rattlesnakes are poisonous? Man, that is, that is really bad bite. No, stay away, stay away. That rattlesnake bite is your problem. I'm just going to sit here and tell you how bad it is. The reason why Jesus says don't judge is because judging is motivated by disgust and hate for the person, right? And Jesus says, if you're going to be disgusted and, and filled with hate for another person's sin, look at the plank in your own eye first. But here's confronting. Same scenario. We're hiking. I get bit by a rattlesnake. You come up to me and, and it's the same start. Phil, I've seen you got bit by a rattlesnake. That looks bad. If you don't do something about it, Phil, you could be very hurt or you could die. Phil, no, no, I'm not going to run away. Don't run away from me, Phil. Do you need a ride to the hospital? Do you need me to pick you up and carry you some way? Phil, you got to deal with this. It's bad. You see the difference there? What's the motivation there? Love and concern. 
So Jesus says, absolutely confront people in their sin because if sin leads to spiritual death, okay, and then confession and killing of that sin leads someone to enjoy forgiveness and that leads to spiritual life, don't you, don't you want someone to have that? And so here's, here's the deal, is that Nathan goes to confront David and he does it in kind of a clever way, right? He goes to the king. And so he's thinking about this, right? He's not just going in. He's thinking about, how am I going to talk to David about this? Wow. And so he tells a story. And the story goes like this. He says, hey, David, I want to tell you a story of a rich man and a poor man. And back in those days, people were really wealthy if they had a lot of animals. So the rich man has lots of cattle and lots of sheep. And the poor man has one little tiny lamb that's his pet. Okay? And the rich man has a guest over to his house. And uh, what the rich man does is instead of using one of his own cattle or sheep to have the meal, he goes and he steals the lamb from the poor person and he kills it and he prepares it and he gives it to his guest. And let's look at at how David reacts here. Verse 5 says that David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And David convicts himself. You see, what Nathan's goal was, was just for David to to realize what what he'd done. Not to make him feel horrible or guilty, to make him realize what he's done, right? And so then Nathan says, you're the man. And this is not like the positive, like, you're the man. No, it wasn't a fist bump thing. It was, you're the rich man in this story, David. And now David is exposed. His sin is out there. Now let's see what he does. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And do you see that? That that first and foremost, we admit that when we sin, it's against God. And then Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. That response comes immediately. That response just comes immediately. And so, so here's the deal, guys, okay, is that confessing or, or exposing and confessing your sin is one of the most terrifying experiences you can go through. It is. And, and confessing or exposing and confessing your sin and experiencing God's forgiveness is one of the most exhilarating and freeing experiences you can go through because the burden and that guilt we are talking about is lifted. God's forgiveness says you don't have to carry that guilt. God's forgiveness says you're not going to die. God's forgiveness says, I love you, I care about you, and I'm going to give you forgiveness. Guys, this right here is why I'm a Christian. This is the evidence for me. I'm not a Christian because I'm perfect. I'm not a Christian because I follow the rules. I'm a Christian because I am not perfect, but Jesus gives me love and forgiveness, and he gives me He gives me his perfection. This right here is real people, real faith. There's a quote I want to read you from Time of Grace. And Mark Jeske is the author of this. And I just love this. Listen to this. Enjoying God's forgiveness is better than finding out that all your credit card balances have been paid for. It's better than your very last mortgage payment. 
It's better than finding out that your cancer is not coming back. Being forgiven means getting your life back, your joy back, your optimism back. Being forgiven means having an eternity that you can look forward to. Notice I didn't say that there's no consequences to sin. If you keep reading, David had some consequences to deal with. But here's the deal. You see how he deals with these consequences in the story, and he's a new man. Because I guarantee you this, okay? The pain and the heartache of dealing with your consequences of sin after you've confessed and experienced forgiveness is way less pain than being burdened by, the, by guilt and shame and unconfessed sin. It just is. And here's the other thing, too, is when you're hiding your sin... Do you think God is helping you do that? Do you think God's really on your side when you're hiding your sin? No. When you've confessed your sin, do you think God's going to help you get through the consequences? Absolutely. And if God is for me, who can be against me? So bring on the people after I've confessed. Bring on the people who are going to say I should still be in my sin. Bring on the people who are going to say I should still feel guilty. Bring on the, the things I'm going to have to do, you know, to make amends and, and say sorry. Bring it on because God is with me. And it's way better than being, being under the burden of sin and guilt and shame. Way better. So here's our next point. Is that when sin is exposed, confessed, and forgiven... It loses its power and its burden is lifted. I want you to look at the last verses, Psalm 51. And this is David speaking, okay? And here's what David says. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So here's, here's the deal. Is, um, I uh, want to kind of close with a couple things real quick. One thing is my wife has been getting me to watch HGTV a little bit. And uh, I have been seeing these shows like Flip or Flop and uh, uh, Fixer Upper, right, where they take a house that's just in ruin and they restore it to its original beauty. And they go into these houses, right? And at first they're like, man, what are we going to do? It just looks, it looks horrible. Some of you feel like that right now. Your lives and your marriage, you, you look at it and it looks like a rundown place. But guess what? Jesus is the ultimate renovator. Jesus' number one thing is restoring people and healing people. So if it looks hopeless, it's not. There's absolute hope in Jesus. There's no sin, past, present, or future, more powerful than than the cross of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And you know what I was thinking about this as I was closing um, my my preparations is, you know, this really hit me is, do you think that it took more courage for David to face Goliath or for David to face his sin? Probably pretty close, maybe even his sin, right? And here's the deal. How did he deal with Goliath? What did he say? He said, the battle is the Lord's. And that's why he had victory. And then ultimately, when he confessed his sin, what was he really saying about his sin? He was saying, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's with your sin. Give it to him. He's powerful. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. So now you might say, okay, where do I go from here? I want to confess my sin. What do I do? 
Well, first off, God is a good person to start with. And the good thing is God's always available 24-7. And the other thing is I want to highlight a ministry we have here at Crosswalk called Resilient Ministry. And, and I want to clear the air a little bit. Is, is At Resilient Ministry, we have people who struggle with drug and alcohol addiction. And at Resilient Ministry, we have people who don't struggle with drug and alcohol addiction. Resilient ministry has been called recovery ministry, and it is recovery ministry, recovery from a sinful, twisted heart. The reason why the people who go there and I go there love recovery ministry, love resilient ministry, is because here, exposure, exposure of sin, confession, okay, and forgiveness happens, and we just know how powerful that is. And all the people there have experienced the burden of sin lifted, let me invite you, Saturday nights at 6 p.m. right here at Cesar Chavez. What a great place to start. So let's put in your last fill-in. Is that David is proof that Jesus can restore anybody. It's not about being a hero. It's about having a hero. And Jesus is your hero. So look at the memory verse. Psalm 51, 12, and the bottom line is I will resist temptation by daily confessing my sins and clinging to my hero, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you want us to be real with you. And so, God, um, all of us have, have sins in our heart that are hidden. And, and I do have a, a special prayer, God, for those people who are, are just under the burden of guilt and shame God, give them the courage to expose their sin and confess their sin, knowing that you're a loving and compassionate and gracious God. God, thank you for giving us this lesson of King David and Bathsheba and seeing that you can rescue, you can save. And as the video said, there is no sin, past, present, or future, more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for, for being our hero. And God, let us uh, move forward with, without guilt and shame. Let us move forward knowing that we're your dearly loved children. Let us move forward knowing that you've given us your perfection and you've called us to tell others about you. And let us do that boldly. And God, we pray all of these things in Jesus, our restorer and our healer's name. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. We worship at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, a couple closing thoughts from Phil Bischoff. You know, for a closing thought, I would like to just play the video again because that's really the awesome uh, closing thought here. But, but let me also say this, is, is that today might be a good day to take advantage of our prayer team, too. Um, and, and I'll be up here as well. And, and just the closing thought, as it said in the video there, is, is this is the grace that he lavished on us, um, is that the, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ to, to give us restoration and, and healing. Uh, so now go into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen.